Welcome to our 55th lesson in the book of Revelation. I've entitled it The First Trumpet, Hell, Fire, and Blood. We'll be looking at Revelations chapter 8, verses 6 and 7. Let's go read those right now. Now the seven angels who had the seven trumpets prepared to blow them. The first angel blew his trumpet, and there followed hail and fire mixed with blood. And these were thrown upon the earth, and a third of the earth was burned up, and a third of the trees were burned up, and all the green grass was burned up. Now, throughout most of church history, this seemed fantastical, magical. It went off into the realms of miracles, into the realm of flights of fantasy and imagination. And sadly, that is still the case today. So what I've tried to do is show that the angels are real. But spiritual beings. We're going to look at the facts or what I believe to be the influences that the angels given spiritual commands and those and their spiritual effects are translated into physical energies that are measurable and have physical effects that are demonstrable. This takes it partially out of the realm of science. And I say only partially because there are still empirical effects. Now, I've maintained this position for decades, and it services from time to time in my lessons. When I state that men cannot define energy, we define what we call or claim to be energy by its effects, but not by what it is not by its substance, not by its very essence. In fact, the further that we have gone along this continuum of science, the more dependent mankind has become on putting insulating barriers between ourselves and what we are measuring. And by that I mean we've developed equipment that we claim to measure. But how do we know that the gear that we developed is measuring what we say it is? Especially 
at the microscopic, and by that I mean electron microscopic, molecular, and atomic levels. We just don't know. So how do we know that we're measuring what we claim to be measuring? Because from that we get our experiments to give us our data to prove or disprove hypothesis and it's another level of uncertainty. Now I'm not claiming that we're not measuring stuff and we may be measuring what we claim to measure. But how do we know that? And it still introduces the problem that energy remains undefinable by its, in its very essence. Now, I'm not saying these don't exist. They obviously do. Otherwise, we would not be measuring the effects of them. But what I want us to understand is what others have deduced also. And we're going to see quotes as we go through this lesson, if you're following along in the slides, that others, not Christian, have also come to somewhat of this understanding. Not very many. But some have, because you come to the conclusion that empirical science can only take you so far. And then you have to change modes. Except we can't change modes. We have to depend on another means to perceive the non-empirical. Now, you can wander off and depend upon your so-called third eye, pineal gland, peering off into the great distance. But how do you know, we come back to that again, that what you are perceiving is actually what you claim it is? How do you know that you are not being duped? This is the claim that the lost make against the scripture. It's not real. It is not factual. It is just fantasy. Then they trot out their books, which take more faith to believe in than the Bible does. God says, come, let us reason together, Isaiah 118. And what's the end point for reasoning? To remove the stain of sin, that you may be saved. This is the purpose of revelation. This is the purpose of the trumpets. To alert you 
you are on the wrong path. And throughout the long millennia of history, especially the two millennia since Christ came to earth, died for sin, rose, and ascended into heaven, God has dealt patiently with man. And man has become increasingly hostile toward God, toward Christ, toward self, toward everything. Creating a society without God. In the last three, four hundred years, has become increasingly more violent, increasingly more degrading, and increasingly able to suppress the truth. And if the truth is able to be totally suppressed, mankind will have no hope of salvation. Where will you go to find the truth? As Romans tells us, verses 11 through 14, uh, chapter 10, verses 11 through 14 or 15, it must come from other people out of the scriptures. It comes by hearing the word of God. Now, they're not going to debate the word of God. They're going to destroy all copies of it, suppress it, because they cannot refute it. And they will kill you in the process if they can, because they cannot refute it. And your life shows the lie of their belief. Now, the truth is so compelling that sometimes even the lost must admit that it is so. And they may do this without coming to the knowledge of Christ. But you get no prize for knowing unless you go through Christ. It's not, I got the prize because I guessed correctly. No. God doesn't need mankind to reveal truth to him. He already knows the truth. There's no prize for knowing. There's only eternal life by submitting to Christ. We already submit to Satan. And that's not working well for most of us. And for the few that it is working well for, they're the most deluded at all, of all, thinking that they get something at the end. Well, they're going to get something at the end, but it's not what they're expecting. Because appointed unto man once to die, and then the judgment. Hebrews 9.27. And then they get the judgment. God is trying to alert us. And in Revelation... As that day approaches, as his second coming approaches, he becomes stronger in his reinforcement 
of the message. Be alert. Pay attention. I am coming. Be prepared. Christ had several parables denoting this fact. And of course, that is what we talked about in our last lesson, the function of the trumpets. They are blasts. They are alerts. To bring us to the understanding that what follows next, we need to pay attention to. In the Old Testament, there would be blasts on the trumpet, alerting people in the wilderness, alerting the armies, depends. Uh, even in the temple, alerting the call to worship. In fact, there was a festival of trumpets, and then you had Yom Kippur. The trumpets alerted you to the fact that the Day of Atonement was here. You needed to be aware and prepare yourself. Well, that's what these tr trumpets are. They are the, the festival of trumpets, so to speak, that herald the coming Day of Atonement, the Day of Judgment, the Day of Accountability, at least as the Second Age draws to an end. Now, throughout most of church history, these pages have been seen as, as I allude to in my opening statement, magical. And you've seen depiction of angels as women or men with long flowing robes and two wings and blonde hair or whatever, or little children flapping around. Uh, none of that is true. But in these latter times, we now know especially in the last 15, 20 years, we know that much of what Revelation is talking about is grounded in measurable activities, measurable energies. Now, before the International Geophysical Year, 1957-58, we didn't know. Because we didn't, we're not able to put probes into space. We weren't able to measure the energies out in space. All we had was visible light, some infrared light, maybe some ultraviolet. That's all we had. But once we were able to put objects outside the atmosphere with instruments that can measure stuff, we stumbled across the Earth's magnetosphere. In those days called the Van Allen belts. Once we got beyond that, we started measuring the energies. And once we put people into space, 
the energy started impacting them. Like the astronauts, American astronauts, reported seeing flashes of light all around them at times. Those flashes of lights were ionizing energy impacting the optic nerve. Those ionizing energies come from our star. They come from every star. And there are billions of galaxies and the number of stars is beyond count. All pouring out these streams of energy. They combine together. So you have the intergalactic winds or galactic winds and you have the solar winds. And the Earth's magnetosphere protects us, redirects them. And sometimes it's stronger, sometimes it's weaker. Now it's growing increasingly weaker as our magnetic poles are getting ready to shift. We've noticed for the last 150 years or so that the magnetic south and north poles of the Earth are shifting. We've known for some time that the sun's magnetic poles shift routinely. But as the Earth's magnetic poles get ready to shift, in the strength of the magnetosphere has been decreasing. It will decrease even more. And as the poles are increasing in their speed toward each other, measurably, the weaker it's become. So I want us to understand that there is this belief that most stars don't just blow up and disappear in a supernova. But actually, it is routine for many stars to have micronovas. I would have you go over to spaceweather.org and view their material. There is the belief that this happened in the past. Now, they, because they take an evolutionary viewpoint, say multiple times in the past, they give them names, they wax eloquently and stuff. And uh, Like most things, you have to pick and choose. You have to be able to extract the facts from the lost worldview especially the evolutionary worldview. I think they're spouting truth, and in fact, there is some truth to it. But we know that there's not an evolutionary viewpoint because scripture, but lost man does not include God routinely, the truth of the Bible, in his worldviews. Or if he does, it's a works-based God. And he will stand to be, be judged whether his life tips the scales in the balance toward the good or toward the evil as to whether he gets heaven or hell. That is always a lost works-based philosophy. God, when we stand before him, if we stand before him without Christ, 
the scales are already tipped and the lost. There is no hope. There is no good that we can do to change that. The only thing that we can do is be clothed in the righteousness of Christ. That is the gospel message. As Spurgeon said, the entire Bible can be summed up and Christ died for me and you and you and you and all who accept him as Savior. So let's look at this. Once again, we're going to go over it for those who have missed the earlier lessons, how this works in, in a very quick thumbnail sketch. The sun micronovas throws out a big blurb of solar flare radiation that impacts the Earth eight minutes later. Then coronal mass ejections that impacts the Earth day or two or four days later and, and just boom. And it overwhelms the Earth's magnetosphere, doesn't destroy it. But much of that energy impacts the Earth in a way that it is not. And because this energy is the ionization energy is is impacting so dramatically, so strongly, it heats up the Earth's inner core. We have increasing volcanic and earthquake activity. Only that, because of that, we have a shifting of the tectonic plates. Now, the other things going on, and we'll cover them in more detail as we get to those aspects of Scripture. But we already have previously where we talked about uh, extra long nights, the fact that the crust slips. While the inner core continues to rotate at the same speed, now we've had instances of this early on in the Old Testament. And so once again, we see that God works through spiritual energy impacting his physical creation to create these effects that are now somewhat understandable apart from it's a miracle. Because when you stop at it's a miracle, you're like the evolutionist who stops at it's an asteroid. How the dinosaurs died off? Asteroid created. How was the moon created? Asteroid hit the earth and blew it off. Uh, why is Mercury oriented on its pole differently than the other planets? An asteroid impact. It's always the asteroids. If it wasn't for the asteroids, it wouldn't have any explanation. And 
that's the same claim they make about us that we always just fall back on. It's a miracle. God did it. We can't explain it. God did it. Well, God does do it. But he does it in a way that we can begin to understand it. It took us a while to get there. And we still refuse to attribute it to God, by and large. You have this weakened magnetic shield. You have this intense ionic bombardment of the solar and galactic winds. They impact the weather patterns because the continents are shifting. Thus, the areas that are heating and cooling and moving are changing the way the winds flow, the way the tides flow, which affects the weather. And this ionic bombardment also affects the weather, creates the thunderstorms, impacts the earth, increases volcanic activity, increases earthquakes, in addition to the plates shifting. This all happened with Noah's cataclysm. Only God did it in a year's time. Now he's doing it over a period of seven years. There are no mountains. Therefore, those impediments that affected weather and affected wind flow are no longer there and the wind patterns are changing dramatically and with this influx of ionization energy you have increasing cloud formation we're going to see that in a bit Uh, and most of those wonderful electronic toys that we play with are going to be worthless paperweights Because it's going to knock out communication satellites. It's going to knock out GPS satellites. It's going to, if we're not careful, during these major bursts, knock out almost all of our electronic gear. And that is what controls our power grids, our utilities. Energy distribution food and water distribution. See, man prides himself on control, increasing control in these past two, three hundred years. Sin seeks control without knowing though, without knowledge. If we, you know, if you turn to Job 38 through 41, God is asking Job a series of physical Questions. Can you control? Do you know about the rain, about the hell? Do you know any of this? Can you give me an answer? Do you know why animals do this? Do you know why certain animals do that? Can you control Leviathan? You go down and put a hook in his mouth. I guarantee you, you won't be doing that one twice. And Job was overwhelmed by his absolute ignorance. Well, modern man is not overwhelmed by his absolute ignorance, but he should be. Because that is what brought Job to salvation. Let's turn to Job 38, starting at verse 22. Let me click and go there. And this is God talking. 
Have you entered the storehouses of the snow, or have you seen the storehouses of the hell, which I have reserved for the time of trouble, for the day of battle and war? He continues on, What is the way to the place where the light is distributed, or where the east wind is scattered upon the earth? Do you know of these things? Job had to say, uh, 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 I'm getting a little embarrassed here. So each element we're going to be looking at that the Bible highlights is both physical and spiritual. I want us to understand that. The sun is the biggest determiner of our weather. It is the biggest source of energy and it requires energy for these forces to work. Otherwise the sun wouldn't be there. Now, if you look on the slide, there is a a quote in the upper right-hand corner of the slide from Jastro. That'd be Robert DeJasto. He was agnostic. That is a man-made term, meaning I don't know for sure. God may exist. He may not exist. I don't have enough information to say either way. That doesn't get you to salvation. It may bring you close to the understanding of truth, but that doesn't get you across the line. And while he was quoted in Christian-type publications like here, this is out of Christianity Today, which I don't routinely read. I wouldn't give you two bits for a magazine in the last 30 years. But he did come to the understanding, like it says here, that there are what I call, or anyone would call, supernatural forces at work is now, I think, a scientifically proven fact. That statement can't be scientific. Because supernatural forces are not empirical. Therefore, science cannot prove them. However, what science can do is state its limitations honestly and say, we don't know and we cannot prove, but we understand that there are forces that we cannot measure at work. Now, we would call that supernatural, and it's beyond the realm of science, but it breaks in upon the physical, it breaks in upon the measurable aspects influencing it. And of course, Hebrews 11, verse 3 tells us this, that that which is visible is made from that which is not visible, and this continues on and on and on. And so, when we're talking about trumpets, 
let's understand that trumpets were simple instruments. They're not trumpets with the multiple doodahs, changing notes, and all of that. They weren't bugles. They were just, you blast, and it produces a single note. It'd be long, it'd be short, depending on how you want to do it. It's still a single note, and it's designed for alert. And what follows is a command. It's time to break camp. It's time to move out. It is time to stop. It is time to come worship. It is time to attack. It is time to retreat. It is time to settle down for the night. When I first joined the Army back in 1969, they were still using some bugle calls. Report for pay because you still had to report to the CO individually to receive your cash. You got paid in cash. They counted it out in front of you. There was a bugle call to alert you to the raising of the flag. There was a bugle call to alert you to retreat. Stop your car, get out. If you're in uniform, if you're active duty, turn and face the base flag as they lower it. That's and it grew out of this. That was the main way to communicate. You had the bugle call. If you watch any old movie, Calvary movies, you know the bugle call to charge. You know the bugle call to retreat. And of course, uh, we know taps. The mournful bu bugle call of time to bed down or also used for burials. Don't do that much anymore. People of today's military don't know anything about that. Well, the angels are spirit beings without form. They're spirit beings. Ergo, no form. They're given form so that we can, in our mind's eye, can see that they are beings, that they do have sentience. And do activities and the happy activities that we can associate with, that we can gain meaning from. Thus, they are given these trumpets that are metonymies. They are there to tell us that these are for alerts. And these Angels, spiritual beings, are going to move spiritual energies that are going to manifest to us as physical energies. And physical energies culminate in specific earthly effects to warn us, or those who are living at the time, and also Satan. Now, Satan can see in the spiritual realm, obviously, he's a spiritual being. So he knows. We don't know because we cannot see in the spiritual realm. There's no third eye, pineal gland viewing off into the... No. That's just pure, pure fantasy imagination. There's no way to understand what's going on in the spiritual realm. 
You can make it up. And in my lost days, I was into yoga. I was into meditation. I was into all that stuff. It's just imaginations. You have no inkling of what is true and not true. The Bible is the only book of absolute truth. And you must use the Bible to interpret the Bible. You say, well, it's circular reasoning. Well, then you must use books to understand calculus, to use calculus, to prove the calculus works. And you get usually correct answers when that's applied to the physical realm. It's not 100%. But is that not circular reasoning? Because, to be absolutely honest, Newton made up calculus to support his thought experiments on astrophysics. Is that circular reasoning? Yes. Do we use to go to the moon? All knowledge. All empirical knowledge is circular reasoning because we can't take it back to the non-empirical sphere. We have no way of measuring. We have no senses that guide us in that. We just have the scriptures. But the Bible consistently works. It consistently jives with reality. Now you say, well, angels, trumpets, blowing, magical stuff happening. That's not real. Well, we're going to show that these miracles are literally, like I just said, spiritual energies transitioning to physical measurable energies, which they may be the same for all we understand with measurable, repeatable, physical events. Now, they're going to be happening on a grand scale, such as not been seen since maybe Noah's cataclysm. But they didn't leave us much of a record since only eight people came through and they were shut up in an ark with a tiny window and the 40 days and nights of rain probably hid most of the dramatic atmospheric events from their eyes. But these physical injuries culminate in specific earthly events to warn us. That's why these are alerts. That's why they're trumpets. They're alerting us of impending judgment and Christ's redemptive return. Go to Hebrews chapter 10, verse 28. Hebrews 10, 28. Anyone who has set aside the law of Moses dies without mercy on the evidence of two or three witnesses. How much worse punishment do you think will be deserved by the one who has trampled underfoot the Son of God and has profaned the blood of the covenant by which he was sanctified and has outraged the Spirit of grace? For you know who him who said, Vengeance is mine, I will repay. And again, the Lord will judge his people. It is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. 
That is what it's warning us about. Repent. Repent now. And as man and Satan, because Satan is behind the scenes manipulating lost man. Doesn't have to get you lost. You're born lost. You're born a slave to Satan. You were born in iniquity already. You were conceived in iniquity. Psalms 51.5. God, Satan doesn't have to buy your soul. You, you're not in some neutral position. That's the law of excluded middle. You're lost until you become saved. You don't do stuff and get lost. You're born lost and you need to be saved. So as man entrenches in sin, the trumpets dramatically increase their effects. The clarion call, repent, repent. Hence, the three woes, the three final trumpets, with increasing severity, warning man to repent before the judgment, to remove the scales from their eyes, metaphorically speaking. Of course, we hearken back to Paul. That's what happened with him. He had literal blindness, denoting his spiritual blindness. And then he, when he was baptized, the scales fell from his eyes and he was able to see because the scales had already fallen from his spiritual eyes. He had three days to meditate over this dramatic vision he had with Christ that he alone had. Others just saw bright light and heard thunder. And we come to the hail and the fire. And this harkens back to the seventh manifestation to Pharaoh and the striking of the crops. In Exodus 9, 13 through 26, now, hail signals, in fact, it's held in reserve for times of trouble. First Egypt, next the Jews, and now everyone. That's what it does. Let's turn to Psalms 148, verses 7 and 8. Here we go. Praise the Lord from the earth, you great sea creatures in all deeps, fire and hell, snow and mist, stormy wind, fulfilling his word. That's what it does in Joel chapter 2, verses 30 and through th th 32. We'll go to the minor prophet. And I will show you wonders in the heavens and on the earth, blood and fire and columns of smoke, and the sun shall be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the great and awesome day of the Lord comes. And it shall come to pass that everyone who calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. That is the purpose of it. The purpose of it is to sweep away the lies of the sinner's worldview. Go back to Psalms 10. And we're doing a lot of this because 
I want to show you that this is grounded in Scripture. For the wicked boasts of the desires of his soul, and the one greedy for gain curses and renounces the Lord. In the pride of his face, the wicked does not seek him. All his thoughts are, there is no God. Let's go to Isaiah chapter 28, starting in verse 14. And we're not going to read all of this. Therefore hear the word of the Lord, you scoffers who rule this people in Shalom. As you have said, we have made a covenant with death, and with Sheol we have an agreement. It will not come to pass. We have made lies our refuge, and in falsehood we have taken shelter. And God says, well, behold, I am the one who has laid a foundation in Zion, a stone, a tested stone, a sure foundation. He's talking about Christ here. And he says, I will make justice the line and righteousness the plumb line. This is how God measures us, all people. And hell will sweep away the refuge of lies, and waters will overwhelm the shelter. Then your covenant with death will be annulled, and your agreement with Sheol will not stand. So this is the purpose of hell. Purpose of hell back then to give us a physical manifestation. It strikes. It destroys the crops. It destroys the greenery. It destroys whatever can't find shelter. And, and plants don't move much. They're kind of fixated in the ground, have to take it. Because what's the lie? There is no God. I'm going to show you there is a God. And there's going to be hell. Lots of it. And fire is associated with purification in the scriptures. In fact, in many religions, because they take their cue from the truth and then they change it to suit their cultural worldviews. And it actually is a physical manifestation of lightning, as denoted in scripture. Let's go to Psalms 105, verse 32. It's 105, verse 32. And he gave them hail for rain and fiery lightning bolts through their land. And he struck down their vines and fig trees and, sh and shattered their trees of their country. And so we have this lightning in 1 Peter 1, 6 and 7. And it's important that you learn scripture. In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various tri trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Christ. So this is the purpose of these trials, is to bring them to an understanding of Christ. But it's not just the lost, but also the saved who will live during this time. Then have heard the message of the 144,000, those who weren't slaughtered, and, and accept Christ and those who remain alive who are not slaughtered. 
because they're all being slaughtered wholesale as we've discussed in past lessons. So they are praising God. They're going through the same trouble, but they're praising God. They're reacting differently. See, today when you go through troubles, you should be reacting differently than the lost. Now, withholding the reins, because remember, we have these varying, changing cloud patterns. They're no longer predictable. So, in places that had rain, may not have rain. In places that didn't have rain, may have rain. But you have this tremendous lightning and these fires. Now, a lot of forest fires today are caused by lightning strikes. Yeah, you got your careless campers, you have your arsonists, you got your idiots. But a lot of it just caused because thunderstorm passes by, lightning strikes, and starts a fire. It's just as common today, probably more common right now than in recent memory. But we have to remember the ionization of the atmosphere due to the weakening magnetosphere will allow increasing galactic and solar ionizing energy to impact. And these make clouds, and these contribute to thunderstorms, and these contribute to lightning. And you can have heat lightning, what we used to call dry lightning, be flashing all over, not a drop of rain in the sky. <laughs> You got clouds, you have all this lightning, you have some ground strikes, you got fires, but you have no rain. In other places, you have tremendous squall lines that sweep through, that being tremendous amounts of hail and rain and lightning and striking and causing fires in the midst of the storm. This is God's recalcitrant reality. Man says, I am in control, and God says, I don't think so. Dope. Don't think you're in control. I don't think you even have an inkling of the truth, or if you do, you've ignored it. You look at this graphic up here, and you see the solar winds coming in and ionizing the atmosphere, and the clouds forming, and the storms forming. Where do you think lightning comes from? How do you think those clouds had the differentiation in charge? Where did the energy input come from? Well, it comes from the galactic and solar ionizing winds. And those aren't the only things that are going to be hitting the earth. Mingled blood. Mercy is available. The physical effects can mirror the spiritual. Warning man to heed the gospel. Now Christ chided his, his listeners, the Pharisees and stuff. He says, you see a red sky in the evening and you make a prediction. You see a red sky in the morning, you make another prediction. And you think you got the, the, the weather down. But he says, you don't know the signs of the times. I'm here. I'm telling you the truth. And they would, by and large, reject that. 
but we see, and we saw in Revelation 6. So let's go back and look at that to re refresh our memories again. Revelation 6, starting in verse 12. And when the sixth seal was opened, look, behold, there's an earthquake. The sun became black, and the full moon became like blood. The stars, the sky fell to the earth like a fig tree sheds its fruit when shaken by a gale and the sky vanished rolled up like a scroll and the kings and the great ones and the elites and all the rich and powerful even the the masses the slave and the poor hid in the caves and the rocks saying oh, God's doing this let the rocks hide us fall on us rather than repent if you want to know the meaning of that, you've got to go back and listen to that lesson again. Because we covered it in some detail. And as Robert Jastro famously noted, the Hubble Law is one of the great discoveries in science. It is one of the main supports of the scientific story of Genesis. In the beginning, God created. Because wherever you look, you know, minor exceptions possibly. You see a redshift. All the galaxies are moving away from the Earth. Why would they be doing that if the Earth was not God's center of the universe? Now, since we don't know the limits of the universe, we don't know its edges, we're not going to make some stupid statement that is the physical center of the universe. Not what he said. I said... It is the spiritual center of the universe. It is the whole reason the universe was created. And they're all moving away, showing that. The redshift. And the redshift on those that we believe to be further away is more dramatically redshifted, showing they're going faster, speeding up as they get further away. This is what he's talking about when he makes reference to Hubble's law. So these physical facts can mirror the spiritual warning man to heed the gospel. The slow solar flares and the CMEs can cause undulating red skies. You say, well, I don't believe that. Well, I would invite you to go and study the Carrington effect of 1858 in which... It is the first recorded solar flare CME impact on the Earth. Recorded by a gentleman named Carrington in England. That's why it was named after him. He was an amateur astronomer, had his own telescope and everything. It was drawing out these sunspots. He was studying the sunspots when he noticed there was this brightness. And he drew pictures of it. And later on, he submitted it to the Royal Academy. And they said, oh, that's what caused all that. Now, what happened with the Carrington effect? Well, it was worldwide. It was undeniable. Telegraph lines 
early electromagnetic technology, our first forays into this exciting new energy source, whatever it is. Well, these wires caught fire, some of them. Operators got shocked. They could operate the telegraph wires after disconnecting their batteries, trying to save their gear, such as it was, and it was still operational. Skies turned red, undulating. Miners in Colorado got up in the middle of the night and went to work. It was so bright, <clears throat> they thought it was dawn. Remember, clocks were not widespread amongst the general populace in those days. The sky effects were seen as far south as Cuba, even Colombia. That is how dramatic this was. And that was a blip on the scale. Imagine a micronova would make the Carrington effect pale into insignificance. And the solar flare travels at the speed of light, pretty much. You got minutes. Coronal mass ejection is matter. It takes longer. Day, a few days. There's some evidence that the first one is paving the way. Plowing the road, so to speak. So subsequent coronal mass ejections can move much faster, overtake it, and impact the earth. Within a day or two or three. Boom. It's still moving at tremendous speeds, just not speed of light. And imagine, everything works on digital microchip technology down to the nanometer. Wipe clean, no utilities. Uh, with central bank di digital currencies, you got no money. Using that plastic card, not going to help you much. Computers are down. Power is down. Some of those power stations would take years to rebuild the gear and get back online. Factories are down. Mining operations are down. Transportation is no GPS, no satellites, no communication, nothing. All down. You're back to hammering out dits and das on ham radios. How many of you know Morse code? And you please, they use digital communications. That's not working. All down. Food distribution, down. Energy distribution, gas and oil, down. Natural gas, down. Everything, down. Remember, red skies. 
red undulating skies. See, these are manifestations because red, as the word implies, is blood red. Takes us right to Christ's sacrifice. And the fire purification is Christ's holiness around the throne. The hail is to sweep away, sweep away your lying worldviews. So you must face God's recalcitrant reality. You must be humbled, brought to the point where you have no strength. And we all come to this point in salvation. If we, salvation is a crisis. It's not a logical exercise in knowing. You look at every person saved in the scriptures. They came to a crisis. Now, it's not always a physical crisis, but it's always a crisis. It's a birthing from above process. Mirroring the physical birthing process. It takes you near death. So that because you undergo a spiritual death of the old nature and are given and birthed a new nature. So it's manifestation of Christ's holiness and the sweeping away of your lies and the revelation of his blood, providing mercy, providing a way of salvation so that you do not have to stand alone on judgment, but you can be clothed in Christ and he stands with you and you're ushered into heaven. It's the offer of salvation to all who call in his name. There is only the manifestation of holiness in the Old Testament. But now that veil has been rent, and mercy is available for all who call on Christ in repentance. John 3.16 through 21. Go read it through 21. Don't stop at just 16. Read 17, 18, 19. Christ makes a way of escape, indicating his long suffering, wishing that none should perish. It is the sinner's wish to face his holiness, Christ's holiness, without the blood. Like Job, before he repented, I'll march into heaven with my grimaces on my shoulder and I'll tell God. Tell God what? You face God's holiness without Christ? That's not going to have a good outcome for you. His, his throne there in Daniel 7, 9 through 10, is just wreathed in fire and flame and holiness with thunders and lightnings around it. Go back to Mount Horeb. Go to 1 Kings and look at Elijah when he was driven back to Mount Horeb because he thought the miracles would change people. Miracles don't change people. This is God 
alerting men, and it's not going to change them, but it will warn them. And they will cry out, let the rocks fall on us rather than us repent. Let us double down on our sin and band together that we may resist him. But he makes a way of escape. He has no wish. No profit in your death. Come, let us reason together. And the physical manifestations. Man blames carbon dioxide and the masses for weather disasters. For climate change. That's his excuse to gain control. The elites justify themselves while extending control, emulating Satan, their father. And of course, we go to John 8, 44. They are sinners. As we are born, are our father, are of our father, the devil who is a liar and a murderer from the beginning of sin. And we emulate him. And we justify ourselves by him. And in of our own selves, we will never repent. It is a work of grace. Lest anyone should boast. And so, look at this picture. This spiritual energy manifesting itself through physical energies that are now measurable by us, resulting in these physical manifestations, telling us, be alert, change. You have the tornadoes, the hurricanes, the forest fires. And yet they do not change their sinful pride. They do not grasp their impotence and seek his face. And their lies, as indicated by the hell, will only grow worse because the hell will grow bigger. A lot bigger. Look at the velocity. Go on YouTube or whatever video channel thing you use. And look up hail. And you'll see hail the size of golf balls. Sometimes larger. Usually smaller. And look at it splashing in the water. See how high that water recoils upwards. And how violent that is. The whole lake turns white. Not with the amount of hail, but with the splashes. And, and it's just, and you, you see its effects on f- f- physical objects. And you just dents them, and it can destroy them. 
Well, this hail is going to get very big, very heavy, and tremendous impacts. And still, they will not repent. But God has mercy. Christ is showing mercy. Only one-third of the crops, one-third of the trees. Are being destroyed. All the grass is destroyed. But the fact that it's only one third is another demonstration of his mercy. He has to warn. He has to wake us up. Rather than just appear in absolute judgment, hey, I came back, I told you I would. Hmm. You guys not going to have a good day now. He's warning. He's pleading. And he's pleading like he did with Job. Asking. Demonstrating. Through the physical that we claim to worship. That we claim to be. We're people of science. They should tell us. But like Robert Jastros concluded. For the scientist who has lived by his faith, as he calls the power of science, the power of reason, faith, and it's true, everything is in faith, begins in faith. The story ends like a bad dream. He has scaled the mountains of ignorance. He is about to conquer the highest peak. And as he pulls himself over the final rock, he is greeted by a band of theologians who have been sitting there for centuries on the Bible, worshiping Christ. The green grass completely burned shows life's transience. Christ talks about it in Matthew 6, 20 through 33. James talks about it in James 1, 9 through 11. Now is the day of repentance. The time that you hear the message. The time that the gospel comes to you. That is your day of repentance. This day. This day that it he you hear it. That it comes to you. This is the day. This is their day. The church is gone. The Jews have been called out. The gospel is going around. The seal judgment says we talked about are just manifestations of man's inability to control anything. And man's government has produced and man's efforts at control have produced Famines and diseases and false peace and, and general overall death. And God has begun his work in warning man. You have the micronova. You have these effects. You have these ongoing effects. When will you listen? I've heard people say, well, when I see miracles, I'll believe. Here's your miracles. They won't believe. 
they do not want to believe. God has to come and take them one by one. This is now your day of repentance. This is now time for you to hear the gospel. Because these times, all times are evil. But as we draw closer to this day, it becomes even worse. And we see it becoming even worse. You almost hear Christ with your audible ear. Wake up. Repent. 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 And yet I see people ignoring the message and not repenting. Not wanting to repent. Now is this day for you. Thank you.